At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. What's up, everybody? So we are back. Uh, last week, I actually thought it was a very good episode. I was surprised by people's connection to some of the things that we were talking about with uh, some of the ways that feminine power is often used and expressed in the world and how people have felt it in their own life. I thought that would be a very personal thing, but it seems to have resonated. Um, so I had more that I was going to say on that, but I left it out, which I think I can round out now because it seems like there was a bit of interest in Let's it. Let's go for it. So you and I have talked about this, and I want to be clear. None of this is necessarily feminine in nature. In my life, it has often come from this has been a dynamic between me and the women in my life, but in your life, it could look totally different, and the gender is extremely unimportant to all of this. Um, but one of the things that I see is that in any relationship, there can form a dynamic where one person in that relationship rushes to emotion, um, fills up the emotional space in the room. And it's almost like if you go out to dinner with someone, they always take the middle seat and everyone else has to constellate around them, by being the first one to be hurt or sad um, or irrational or upset, this can happen, you know, again, men, women, different emotions, uh, you can form patterns where that primary position is taken and that emotion is therefore off the table for other people. So somebody who always snaps and gets angry, let's say at a waiter or something, other people might be upset with their meals but there's no space for them to be angry because the anger in the room is already like way too much maxed out. Um, the one that came up for me in the journey as it was regarded a lot of the women in my life was the rush to be hurt. Um, not to be hurt, to express hurt without necessarily processing it. Um, so I'll give you sort of how this has happened in my life is in some of my adult relationships with women that I've dated um, a dynamic that occurs is this mentor-mentee thing, but it often starts because there's a problem in that, that woman's life, right? So like two girlfriends ago, it was, I hate my job and I don't want to do this. And then I would jump in and like, okay, well, how do we fix this? Um, in my more current relationship, it's, there's this person that isn't treating me well, that is constantly in my life. And I would either jump in, you know, how do we fix this? And what you often hear about men and women is, you know, women don't want a solution. They want to be listened to. And so I tried doing that. Okay, let me learn and create space and listen. And what I found in this last journey is that it is very difficult for me and probably for a lot of other people to acknowledge how much pain it can put you in to listen to someone who comes to you with the same problem over and over and over again. Mm. So... Two relationships ago, you know, like, I hate my job. I don't want to do this. Whether or not I helped and tried to find a way entrepreneurially, um, sat quietly and listened, provided support, nothing was going to change the fact, it seemed, that that problem kept showing up at my doorstep. And it wasn't necessarily my problem, but my choices were like, just sit there and listen, or it seemed like I didn't have choices. And as I reflect back on that, it's painful to see someone that you love struggling over and over and over and over again, especially when you become the primary emotional frustration opening dumping ground. Um, in my more current relationship, which is more top of mind, and this is how it came up, because this one is more pronounced, is that um, she's being mistreated by someone close to her repeatedly. And I, you know, listen or try to receive that. And my prior strategies were somewhere between give advice, listen carefully and quietly and offer support, disconnect, you know, just like be doing other stuff on my computer while she was talking. Um, but what I didn't have that I now have that has been extremely useful in my relationship that I want to call out is an awareness of how much pain that can cause to see someone that you love repeatedly being mistreated or taken advantage of come to you with the same problem and then to have whatever you seem to do to try to support them not be acted upon. 
And in that relationship, I shared this and like, you know, legitimately cried about how much it hurts me for over this long time span to see this thing not change and how much it hurts to watch. Um, And that actually wound up reflecting back, oh my God, I didn't realize how bad this relationship was. When I, when, when I told you about it and you kind of just listened or gave advice, like it, it had one effect on me. But when I see you, I go, holy crap, if this is hurting you that much to listen just to my story about this, what is happening in me that I'm not even becoming aware of that? Um, and so that has been in- incredibly useful. So what I asked for that might be useful for some of you in your life is I do not want to be the first line of emotional processing for the repeat problems that I point to in your life or our lives because it just, I can't solve it. I can't support it. All I do is just like, I'm processing more and more. So I would like you to take the space to actually work through this. And whereas in advance, I had given her the advice to do breath work. I said, oh, I think breath work would be a really useful thing. When I was able to say how much this hurts me, I can't handle it. You need to find another first order thing to do to work through it. She finally did breath work, which is fucking incredible. And we've linked to my favorite breath work session from our friend Evan. Um, and in doing that breath work session, found inside of her the tremendous amount of pain that this relationship has been causing her that she's been shutting off and like processing as best she can. And then finally, through experiencing that very directly, has made steps to shut out and exit that relationship to the degree possible. So I just wanted to round that out as a dynamic that may occur in your guys' life if you thought the last podcast was interesting, which is the emotions that other people rush to are often the ones that there is no space for you to have, whether that is anger or hurt or something like that. And you probably choose people that together you have the full spectrum of emotions. But individually, They're over-indexed, in my case, on hurt, woundedness, um, vulnerability, and I'm over-indexed on assertiveness, anger, frustration, you know, and all those sorts of things. Yeah. Any thoughts? A lot of thoughts. You rounded it out at the end there, which was Mm -hmm. the fact that you would only be, like, attracted to somebody who sort of mirrored that relationship that you were looking for. And Mm -hmm. so you needing to know yourself seems like the most important part and like your blind spots mm-hmm. seem like this comes up or else you're going to learn them pretty quickly and your relationship is going to develop in a way that doesn't serve you. And so like the growth from you between these two relationships is like, I just always talk to these, sometimes talk to these girls and they're like, oh, like I cook for him, I clean for him, he doesn't work, mm-hmm. like I pay all the bills. I'm like, how the fuck did you get into this relationship yeah, yeah. i can't get into that like <laughs> i can't find someone who does all the chores and pays all the oh bills. my god i'm always dumbfounded by these relationships and i'm like i don't you seem so great how do, why yeah why um and it's that blind spots you i wouldn't pick up on this she wouldn't find me attractive yeah because i'm not attractive in the ways that she wants she wants to cook and clean and take care of somebody and then if we ever talked over a coffee, I would demonstrate things that wouldn't make and vice versa. Mm-hmm. Where if she was like, yeah, I'm really independent. And I, and I'm like, Oh, well I want to help fix you. And like, if you're not going to be that yeah. source for me to, to do. Um, yeah. It was just, it's really interesting that knowing yourself first, like really intimately also um, helps you know what you're going to be attracted to mm-hmm. in your relationships. Um and uh yeah watching you grow in your relationship um has been interesting because i think you're again a mirror for me of what you're going through is a mirror for me of what i'm also going through and i'm like oh if that hurts him why what's is it is it affecting me Mm -hmm. um and then i look into my uh intimate relationships and i just want to be the guy (laughs) who's a deadbeat and gets his cook cleaned and well those i those there's different archetypes for that but what i see is with those relationships what is often attractive that can't be acknowledged to the woman in that deadbeat guy is the neediness that he has for her like i don't want to i've seen and know a couple of those there's often like when those people go to break up that guy will threaten to kill himself you know what i mean like there's this like there's this, and that is not a bug of those sorts of relationships. That is a feature. Like they, those women who are, I think, in, like genuinely being taken advantage of, sought 
out that sort of a scenario because it is how they feel and receive love, which is you are totally dependent upon me. And yes, I complain about it, but I'm not looking really for someone who I wouldn't feel safe or secure with someone who wasn't totally dependent upon me. Right. And so you were saying that you want to know these things about yourself before you get into a relationship. The flip of that is you kind of need to start getting into some relationships, seeing the sort of patterns that you keep calling out of other people before you get to know yourself and go, oh, wow, like I always tend to attract these types. Yeah. Um, and I tend to be attracted to these types. So do you want to share about um, your encounter with love at the oh, coffee God, shop? Oh, God, guys, this is perfect. <laughs> I already messaged uh, Craigslist and put out a post missing Love at the coffee shop, it's entitled. Uh, over the weekend, me and my buddy went to the coffee shop that I go to every single day to grab a coffee and sit out there and enjoy my time, read. Hopefully, love strikes. Who knows? <laughs> and, oh, no. Um, we go there on day after Christmas or even Christmas. Oh, God, it was so easy. <laughs> it hurts to retell. And I bring my dog, who's a small white poodle, and I hold her in my arms, and she sits like a kangaroo in my my arms. And it's it's normal at this point. She sits like sitting up like a boss, just look. Looking she looks around. really cute. Yeah, she looks really cute, and I'm unaware of it. It's been four years. I carry her like that sometimes. I walk into the coffee shop, grab my coffee, and I'm walking out, and there's a girl just looking at me, like enamored that I'm holding my dog like this. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, Oh, do you want to say hi to the dog? Um, she's like, Yeah, yeah, yeah. Can I? And she starts petting my dog, and I'm saying, so, uh, she's like, I love dogs. I have one at home. I'm going to have one back in my apartment in Beverly Hills and tomorrow. I can't wait to see him. I'm like, oh, what kind of dog? She names a dog I've actually never heard of, and I, and I know my breeds. Um, and I was like, oh, I don't know what that is. She's like, let me show you. She pulls out her phone and shows me the dog on her phone. I'm like, oh, that's really awesome. Um, and you live in Beverly Hills? And she's like, yeah, what about you? And I'm like, I live here uh, just down the road. I don't spend a lot of time in Beverly Hills, but that's awesome. So you're spending some time in Malibu. <laughs> and this is the time where I'm like... Well, you. so our friend saw, like, he is a fantastic support and wingman guy. He walked away because he's like, my presence here is just like, this was such a pickup on her part. Like, she went to go get you. And so he's like, I just need to remove myself. So he'd walked off yes. at this point. So this is where it goes wrong. <laughs> I then see a guy getting an ice cream, a 50-year-old man in the back getting an ice cream, and he's looking back at the interaction. I'm like, they're dating, and I don't want to. <laughs> she's 25, he's 50. I don't want to make this weird and ask her for her Instagram. So they're dating. I'm going to get out of here. I'm actually going to the beach, and I should get out of here. Me and my friend, he just walked out. We're going to the beach. I'll see you later. And so I leave, and uh, we walk out. My friend said, how'd it go? I was like, really good, really good. I didn't. <laughs> get her number or ask her anything. <laughs> I think she's dating that guy in there because he kept looking at me. The guy comes out. He's 50 years old. He meets up with his 50-year-old wife <laughs> immediately with his ice cream. And I'm like, ah, oh, damn it. <laughs> so we sit down. And I'm like, I have to go back in there. I charge up for like two more minutes. I'm like, fucking like, let's get back in there. And um, she's not there. She must have got her coffee and exited <laughs> in the time. And I uh, put out a few job posts. I'm wondering if you guys can help me with how to track her down. <laughs> she's from Moscow, but she said it Moscow because she's really actually Russian. She has pretty blue eyes and blonde hair. So that if you should... know an Anastasia from Russia. Yeah. <laughs> um, what did you learn, Henry? I need more training. Yeah. Don't face your fears. Yes. Uh, what did I learn? Um, it's okay. The conversation was so casual and this is what Evans, uh, our friend Evans said, he's like, dude, you were so casual. Why didn't you just ask for it? And I was like, oh, cause I knew I was going to the beach after <laughs> and I didn't have to ask for anything. So it was very easy for me to just chat with her. Mm, um, so you had the mental thing of like, I have to leave, which made it easy to talk to her, but hard to just say that I'm not going to talk to, I'm not going to ask for this girl. I had been like, I want to, but I'm not gonna. So like, it's much easier for me to just stand here and shoot the shit. I think what is helpful, and this is why lines exist, which is when your brain turns off and whatever, to lean on whatever, which is like I used to say, do you like salsa dancing? And girls would go, I've never been, but I want to, pretty much every single time. And I would say, awesome, there is a place, this is in New York, on the 10th Street that is really cool. I like to go there. Would you like to do, like, just having that when I was nervous and my brain didn't work in my pocket. Was so when you have all the lines and you have lots of practice, and then there's a 
her bodyguard standing behind her? What do you do? <laughs> yeah, you got to learn. That's where BJJ comes in, where you need to know your, your Because she had a bodyguard skills. behind her who was getting an ice cream, and I did not like the way that was going down. Yeah. So I think I got to actually work on the mental part, which is I know the lines. It's the, I'll make up a story about how she's dating another person in the coffee shop. Yeah. Or like even, I mean, you know what was happening was that guy was witnessing what most people don't get to witness, which is a pretty girl approaching a man in a public space. That's a bit of a spectacle. Like that doesn't happen. Very I often. offered her to approach, but yeah, like I was like, you're staring at me. Would you like to pet he, the dog? He was watching. The He's watching spectacle. love at first. Yes. Sight. Yes. yes. He was watching what true yeah, love was like. It was like, like what is, oh my God. Like, yeah. True I, love. I'm seeing this. Yeah. So bummer. Sad. If you're out there and you're in our. Massive audience of, <laughs> um, maybe that's why she saw you on the podcast. That's probably what it is. Cool. I've been on. So I watched a video with Ben Affleck. Um, he was with, uh, he's starting this new company. I didn't find the company particularly interesting, but what was interesting was listening to his story of uh, being Ben Affleck, which was being wildly and super successful early, becoming Benifer with J-Lo, then being despised by everyone in his own words uncool and like having work dry up and spending 10 years trying to prove that he was cool i don't know if you remember he directed gone girl and argo and they would start by like saying directed by ben affleck and then they pulled that and then it was like directed by the director of argo like directed by the like they wouldn't say his name as director because it made you think the movie sucked because he became known as this Mimbo, a couple of the roles that he played and then his relationship with J-Lo and then he did Gigli and people just hated it. Um, and it was just wild to see. I mean, he talks about it. He's like, I spent 10 years trying to convince people that I was cool after I was in Armageddon. Like, he spent a huge chunk of his life just trying to Make people respect him. What a fucking loser. <laughs> no, no. Like, isn't that crazy? I only spent my entire life. <laughs> he did 10 years? 10 years and you stopped? What a quitter. <laughs> um, so that, that was interesting. And then there was this other moment in it where this is the interesting piece for me is that their business is trying to change the business model of Hollywood. And it seems primarily that he talks about incentives being out of line. I guess this is interesting. And the example that he gave is like studios, in order to try to get as much money as possible, have tried to be very opaque in where the money goes, how it's spent, etc. Netflix, Amazon, these streamers won't tell you how anything is doing. One, so their competitors don't know, but also so you, the actor, don't know to fucking go, oh, you guys made that much money? You better pay me, you know? What he says is, okay, that makes money in for them, they think, and that's been the model, but like it also has all of these horrible things that occur. So like when you do get a big, powerful actor, because they no longer often have back-end cuts of the movie, they do not care if the movie is profitable. And it affects everything. So when there's like time for reshoots and you have a director or an actor, they'll be like, the example he gives is like, we have to go back to Prague for reshoots and we have to take the whole team and we need six trailers and we need this and that. And it's like to shoot an indoor scene. It's like we couldn't just shoot in, a, in Burbank, you know what I mean? We couldn't find a soundstage out there. So like, because these people are disconnected from the money-making by design by these studios who are trying to keep them in the dark and get as much money as they can and not share any of the upside, it also then creates all of these uh, distortions in how people behave and I don't shoot before noon and these prima donna actors and actresses that do not give a damn if the movie succeeds. They are there for themselves, they are getting paid contractually, and they just want to make sure that they do the best, not that the movie does the best. And so he's saying if we can align incentives better, this could potentially work. And I do find that this is, I think, one of the interesting things with that Web3 really promises to do for those people who are willing to do it is that it is open to aligning the incentives where value is truly created. And so, like, the people who are often left out of the value creation are the communities. Like, who makes Facebook valuable is the millions of people that go on it that make advertisers want to be there. Uh, and as technology advances and you can be on any platform, your decision of which platform to spend your time and where to put your, your eyeballs deserves compensation or equity in that sort of a model. And so it seems like increasingly 
the direction that things are moving is that a handful of like powerful actors in the past have been able to keep people in the dark and have really good contracts and uh, garner more money than they create value. And moving forward, there is this new opportunity for people who are smart to recognize where real value is and pay accordingly. And so like Mr. Beast, I think is an example, one step away from this, which is he recognized that the captive audience of subscribers and fans was deeply undervalued and that YouTube wasn't a game about making your AdSense and putting it in your bank and then buying a car for yourself, that if you instead recognize that you're building this huge asset that has value in and of itself, you can take all your ad revenue and spend it on a video. You can, um, one of the things that I've heard that he does is contract with uh, these companies who will pay you the estimated future earnings on a video so that you, you like are no longer collecting your own AdSense in the future, but they will give you the money today so you can spend your future earnings today on your next video to make it bigger and better and bigger and better. And intelligently, what he has done is now he's selling Beast Bars and Beast Burgers and all these kinds of things because the value of that audience isn't merely capturable in AdSense and the other ways that YouTubers have done it. Um, and I think celebrity, which will be interesting, celebrities, I'm spiraling away from this now, they have realized from the George Clooney's to the Rocks to the whatever to all these people that have their own tequilas or bourbons or alcohols or thing that, yes, you want to get paid to be in the movie, but when you become George Clooney, the most money you can make is not going to be from the movie you're in. It's going to be from selling your tequila. What's his tequila? Um, I don't know if it's Classe Azul or Dos. Who yeah, knows, man? Uh, it's one of the, it's a big one. And, and this is the other thing is that, unfortunately for everybody, he was very early. He did that, I don't know how many years ago. Like, he was, he was one of the first major stars to be on a commercial for a consumer product. Which was Which was thing. like, oh my God. That's, Why is he doing commercials? Yes, and so that was incredibly powerful. He was early in that and figured it out. Now everybody's going to be in their own commercial. You got Ryan Reynolds, you got The Rock, you got all of these guys. So it's going to be all of these individual stars. It's a much more crowded space where these authority figures are trying to convince you to buy their consumer product. Um, so it's not going to work as well. But the ability to spot where value is that it isn't being used appropriately because of sacred cows. I think in George Clooney's case, in the case of actors, there was this like, you shouldn't do commercials, it's beneath you. And there was just like the sacred cow in Hollywood of like, we don't do that stuff. And then the first person across the line, I think he made half a billion dollars or something like that. Casamigos, it's called. Casamigos. Yeah, and it's valued very high. Yeah. Um, so I just thought that that was interesting and that he's trying to do, he says he's trying to, Ben Affleck that is, is trying to align incentives with within Hollywood. Um, Makes so much sense why he's so concerned with his personality because what you just yeah. said is like every, your perception in this audience as a celebrity is the most important thing, mm -hmm. which I think ties back. I don't know if you said it on this podcast or just to me during the day that they had stipulations in the Fast and Furious movies. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you could tell it because you told No, this me. is years ago this came out. The Wall Street Journal found that uh, The Rock, Jason Statham, and who else was in the Fast and uh, Vin Diesel. Vin Diesel. Had different stipulations for each that they weren't identical necessarily about how much punches and damage they could take when, especially in their fight scenes with one another, which meant anytime they fought, they had to like draw basically. You get a body slam, I get a body slam because their brand of Jason Statham, The Rock, and Vin Diesel is they just play unbeatable people. And if they lose or display any level of humanity in, in these movies, that destroys their potential earnings <laughs> in the future, which I thought was like so sad for storytelling, but also so savvy on the part of them and their agent, which isn't just an ego move. That's like, no, I, I know why people come to see Jason Statham. They come to see me bleed just a little bit before I kill 50 goons. 50 to 100? 50 yeah. to 100 goons. Yes. Yeah, that personality thing that you have to maintain in public perception. 10 years, he was uncool, so he had to make himself cool again. Mm -hmm. uh, Brandon Frazier is having a revival too, which is an interesting yeah. one, which is like everyone's clapping for him now. It's like, you guys didn't, you guys hated this guy and destroyed him for years. I don't even know why he disappeared, so if you do, but I'm seeing this revival campaign of the last year where he got a low-level TV show. Everyone's happy to see and his he got, face he again. He did The Whale, and he got awards critically acclaimed for this movie. So You guys he, blacklisted him, though, right? No, no. So he, he, I think, I don't know if he made the allegation, but he said that he that one of the producers, like, assaulted him and touched mm -hmm. him inappropriately, and it 
messed him up and put him into therapy and all these kinds of things. Um, and I don't know that if he was blacklisted or if he chose to step away himself. I don't know the whole story. But what I did notice with the, that scares me is like when you see this rush to love someone that seems under-deserved, it's just like, oh, here he is. He's back. He's amazing. I always, I always, like I haven't heard anybody say anything. Um, not, he'll be okay, and I hope that it stays this way, but this this makes me go, oh, I'm, I remember when Jennifer Lawrence had this and everybody loved her for about five minutes before they all decided they hate her. Like when you see this irrational crush of support, there is usually some people with this frothing underbelly that are just waiting to flip that on its head and so I hope that that doesn't happen with him or with anybody. But that was my thought when I saw this, which is, oh, man, whenever you see Elon Musk be super loved, okay, like the, the turn is coming. Yeah. Um, not to say that Elon hasn't hasn't done things to draw that ire more than Brendan Fraser is likely to. But, uh, yeah, the, the desire to lionize and then villainize, I, I saw that, that system – active when i saw him i was like oh should we do a breakdown of him maybe but also um yeah that, that would have nothing to do with the potential villainy that that might happen later so let's see what else we've got oh ai let's do a little bit on ai i don't know if you have thoughts we just watched alex hormozzi's video which is really interesting he takes it in a whole bunch of different directions um this is one that did not directly come from him but is tangentially related is the idea of this narrator economy which is, if you haven't seen, I'll just do a little slow. There's chat GPT-3. You should check it out. You can type in prompts and it can give you everything from poems to how to write an email. You just tell it what you want. Write me a charisma on command script about confidence. It'll, it'll spit it out and give you a fairly generic starter point for a lot of things. There's also this Dolly thing. You might've seen it on Instagram. Everybody's got a more beautiful version of themselves looking like King, King Tut and then looking like a uh, person from the future. So AI is here, and then also we talked a bit, I don't know if I mentioned it, Adobe released this AI, uh, it's called Adobe Podcast. Podcast. It's really cool. You can have crappy, crowded microphone stuff, like unusable audio, essentially, and you run it through Adobe Podcast, and it is not perfect, but it makes it sound podcast quality, which is, for me, super exciting. I want to like put my old videos through it, and you could I, you could imagine having your old tapes with your family being put on that, and then... The interesting thing is that it seems like, I don't know all of the, the tech behind it, but it seems like it is making artificially intelligent guesses about what to do. So it's not simply removing. I think it might also be adding intelligently, which implies that in the future, you could have low-res footage of your old family Christmas. We watched some videos of us this Christmas. They could be great. I wonder if they could be made into 4K. With like, not perfect, and it's not going to actually be what happened there, but intelligent guesses, because this is what a person looks like. And this is like, close enough for you to watch yourself in 4K with super clear audio and share that with your kids, which is awesome and incredible. Um, so, you know, anything in 1080 could then be scaled up, and then you could imagine a future in which that worm could be, that world, that room that we open our presence in could be digitized into VR based on that thing, and you could walk around in that experience. I mean... Trauma. Yeah. <laughs> you could relive your trauma. Can you imagine that? To go and see dad behind the camera and mom yeah. over here and <laughs> didn't get the present that you wanted. This where I start crying. But yeah, the that I mean, think about that. That you could create a 3D potential like that's that it's adding to it is what I found most interesting about the Adobe thing. Um, that it is not merely stripping away noise. It is it is making educated guesses. So cool. So all of this stuff is happening. Um, and the idea that what Alex sort of talked about is it was believed that at first it would get like, um, you know, manual labor would go away, then low-skill jobs, then high-skill jobs, then creators would be last impacted. Um, but it's actually turning out that like, well, there's these robots, but, you know, doing stuff in the real world is hard. Um, the way that things move just in a software basis is very quick. And creatives in terms of artists, people who uh, do 2D or 3D art, people who are copywriters, people who do sales teams uh, and scripts, things like that, all of that stuff is, is going to come under threat very soon. And not just threat, you'll be able to partner with AI in order to do much more work if you're incredibly smart. But the idea is that if you know how to interface with these early AI platforms, 
to the degree where we're making this Dungeons and Dragons show. And I can say, make me a 3D scene in a semi-realistic quality of uh, rogue and a knight fighting a water elemental in a field. And it can start there and I can start to give it the prompts or questions or things that I might want. That would be incredible because what we're doing right now is taking painstaking weeks and months. It's been now a year and a half. We haven't even released so much of this stuff to try to get the 3D work done, and it's prohibitively expensive. You've seen Zuckerberg's like demonstration of the metaverse, though, right? Where he's on an <laughs> island, he's like, "Why don't you put a tropical tree there with a hammock?" <laughs> and it's like, "Kitty," but like, yeah, I think that's where he's starting to like make it feel fun. Well, I actually, I um, I don't know that I shared this here. Um. I want to get him on. The guy who created Castlevania, Adi Shanker, I talked to him, um, and he had a video that I thought was really interesting where he said, I don't think that Facebook or these other things are going to solve the metaverse. I think it's going to be a video game company. These bloated social media institutions that hired everybody and have, you've talked to people who work there, cultures of laziness and, um, you know, how much time off are we going to get and are we being inclusive? Like, that that's the whole thing versus a video game company, which is like, constantly under crunch people that are absolutely and deeply dedicated to this craft who have created artificial worlds that people inhabit already that despite the fact that the googles facebooks etc are huge oh we gotta get the phone so what was i saying yeah despite the fact that google facebook all of these people have ridiculous stockpiles of cash they do not have the institutional culture and capability of doing what some of these video game companies will do and so i have you seen um God, have you seen? I find that hard to believe. I bro, just feel look like- at Unreal. Look at metahumans on Unreal. So this is something that I looked at for our show. It doesn't have the style that I want. There's this software program thing that is being developed in Unreal Engine. Unreal is what video game developers often build on. So you can build your world and thing. One of the hard things is when you build your characters, you have to like create a custom model, and then you got to teach them to move. So what Unreal Engine is doing is taking. Like, I think they started with real photos of people and allow you just to blend them together to create AAA quality, which is like, looks, it's not uncanny valley. It looks really good 3D that you can quickly spin up, create, move this, you know, freckles, add all this kind of stuff and use fully rendered 3D humans and then add whatever clothes or setting that you want to them that would make this project that I'm doing way easy it's not totally there yet and it doesn't have we're going for a bit more stylized look but if you're looking for like there's a chance that we would just go why go stylized just go triple a quality 3d world with these incredibly Avatar. incredibly expressive metahumans that you could use um well also avatar 2 just mm-hmm. created a bunch of technology to make their cgi look really real and they're like all this stuff is coming together I think an important point in Alex Ramosi's video or that struck me was the idea of super intelligence and who has access to it Mm. with a super intelligence being the idea that uh, when AI like ChatGPT has enough info and is able to scrape enough data points and can then do video and audio and all the sensory things that we take into account, compile it and it's smarter than every human on the earth combined because it's an amalgamation of everything who has access to ask it a question, then he uses the question, make me a trillion dollar company. Mm-hmm. And then it's able to spit out every step of what you would do to make a triple uh, a trillion dollar company, then do it. Just like if it was a e-commerce brand, he starts talking about building the web pages, building the back end, writing the emails, making the mm-hmm. marketing, buying the ads, scaling. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Selling the ads, yeah. like every single part of it, yeah. simultaneously. And so who has access to that? So like, it feels like we're at the stage, what you mentioned earlier, which is like interacting with V1 of ChatGPT mm-hmm. comes out in a year, ChatGPT 2.0 does. And apparently it's way better at answering these prompts and getting mm-hmm. really specific and usable information. And then down the road, um, who gets to interact with the super intelligence? Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, and... and 
it like released to the public at the same time, but you raised the point which he raised, which is like, yeah, but who got to play with it first behind the scenes? And who got to like, who's going to get to ask these things at the sixth iteration of it first and just have a jump and own the production of this incredible thing? And will it be, I mean, it's pretty remarkable that it was made open, that this isn't a paid product, that this is like a 20-year funded thing that is just given away. Um, awesome, but I mean, how long will that last? I don't, I don't know. Um, the, what was I going to say? Um, I forget exactly. I don't know. This, he also just included the one part, which was freaky. Is in 2008, Google has a Google VA, VA mm -hmm. a virtual assistant that sounds like a human and booked, uh, <laughs> booked someone a nail appointment or yeah. a hair appointment at 3 p.m. with a human, and the human had no idea what mm -hmm. was going on. Um, and that's just like, that's 2018. It was never released to the public. We're in 2023, nearly. Yeah. Uh, we have open AI. We're allowed to ask things prompts. It's like, what does Google have yeah. going on? And then he cuts, and this is why the video editor did a great job, where Elon Musk is just like, tried, tried to tell him to stop. <laughs> <laughs> no one's so listened. It, it is exciting, scary. If done well, it means that we truly do not need the productive capacity of a lot of people, which, without losing productivity in the economy. So do you come, become an early adopter of it, or do you get new skill sets? I, I, I am not going to learn to become an early adopter, I don't think. I do think what's important, like Gary Vaynerchuk, you think for years, has been like, you gotta be on TikTok, you gotta be on Snapchat. If there's, the first one that I go, you, you need to start learning how to interact with this, is these different AI platforms. that you, I need to know, or you need, or someone close, if you want to, if you want to really be cutting edge of whatever comes next is to have the same way that some people can and can't Google well. You know what I mean? Like you need to know how to Google. You need to know how to chat GPT-3. You need to know how to like input things. You need to have an idea of the capabilities and also of the limitations of it because they're wildly limited right now. We're at a point where if I tried to have it help me with a charisma command video, it would just waste my time. Um, but I'm sure that there's some idea generation like what are the most compelling charisma topics of 2022? Or it will get there eventually where it can tell me maybe not what to write about them. But if I said, who are some characters reminiscent of Tommy Shelby, Don Draper, the question that I've asked you guys, you know, and I said, what is it, you know, who are people like the ones that have done the best for us? I wonder if it couldn't spit out other- Sir Camelot. Yeah, you know, like- From 1915 <laughs> other Other ideas that we could look into. Now, and I, if I said, write me a charisma breakdown of Tommy Shelby, what it does is it just, copies our video, you know, and it just spits out these, the same thing. It's remarkable. Um, it's like, yeah, I recognize that. I think you stole my word. <laughs> it used uh, nerve-wracking. I was like, I'm the nerve-wracking guy. I know who wrote nerve-wracking into way too many of his scripts. In every single blog post ever. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I think that that is a thing that we should probably do, we should probably incorporate for this podcast, is like just to spend five to ten minutes prior to doing this, seeing if we can find use for these sorts of things, not because this version of it is going to be extremely helpful, but because you want to be conversational with the different products that come out because they are going to be wildly useful. And the people that figure out how to make the best, most effective use of this and stay on that cutting edge are going to be in second place to succeed. I think people in first place to succeed are the ones who are actually working on it, who get the betas of all of these sorts of things. And that's just not a category that I'm ever going to be in. Um, any other thoughts on artificially intelligence? Uh, last thought was that he speculated that artificial intelligence may be trying to replicate in the way of he shows images of Elon Musk and uh, <laughs> and Mark Zuckerberg. But I thought the interesting part was like if you were trying to replicate whatever if you were trying to speak to a different thing galaxies and solar systems away you wouldn't would sell you your biological flesh yes you'd send robots artificial intelligence dna yeah that sort of stuff that and then i was like consciousness consciousness is how you do it <laughs> i got it alex um and then going forward if i have a bunch of stuff we can talk about our year in review um, we'll do that uh, this is just one thing that i wanted to point to um the lack of racial tension in the news at this moment as we sit after, like people are like, oh, I miss the political stuff. What I, I think what is true is the political stuff has taken a backseat in the news cycle and the consciousness of so many people 
So where there is going to be, and I'll make a prediction that I feel a year from now, as we enter into 2024 in election year compared to 2023, there's going to be a lot more political stuff. Um, there's going to be more racial tension. There's going to be all of those four-year cycle things that come around reliably when we need to stir up the voting bases to be angry enough to get out there and cast their vote on election day. Um, but just wanted to highlight, like, for me, I think, like, when was the last time we heard about police and their, you know, aggressive tactics? Do we believe the police have slowed down the, whatever the average rate of, uh, you could call it murder, unintentional homicide, you know. Ain't I, no I, time. It's the holidays. I would be shocked if it wasn't as regular in the last six months as it was in the prior six months or, like, barely any different. Um, and so, yeah, I think the next time that you hear about it, someone will be trying to mobilize you. You know what I mean? Unless it's a particularly egregious case, like, just just be aware that the next time that that stuff comes up... Um, very few phone calls from Mama Hoop. Yeah. Who's our barometer for what's going wrong in the world. Yeah. She's sending me cat videos. <laughs> so things are okay. Things are good. But in one year, I predict that that will not be the case. Donald Trump will be back. Yeah. It'll be scary. And sending my mom into a tizzy. Yeah. So what did you have? Year in review. Uh, year in review, 2022. I looked at some of the biggest moments. I asked ChatGBT to help me with it, and it was unable to because it's unable to scrape information past September 21st, which is, I don't know why, I said try. It was unable to get me a just list. give it a try, dude. Just try to make this video for me. Mm -hmm. um, and so one of the biggest things I went to, Reddit, news, top, sorted. Some of the biggest things that happened were Queen Elizabeth II died after 70 years of her reign, 70 plus years. The longest living monarch in the British Empire has passed away. Now survived by King Charles. Charles, correct. You want to talk about Harry and Meghan. And then if you drill down, what I read in the Wikipedia about this lady was that her father got the throne because his brother abdicated the phone, uh, the throne. His name was King Edward VIII, I believe. And he abdicated the, phone, uh, the throne because he was dating a woman that looked bad for the throne. She was a socialite and she was a two-time divorcee who had surviving husbands. So in order to marry her, it looked really bad. They said, then this just destroys the whole part of our social democracy. If you're going to have, and you being the head of the church, this just mm -hmm. doesn't work. So he abdicated the throne after 200 days. And it reminded me of like this um, PR that had to, to occur. Mm -hmm. And then the Harry and Me um, Meghan, right? Harry yeah. and Meghan thing, which is currently going on today. Um, they've released a Netflix documentary. And it's one of the 85 million views in its first week. No. It's, gi it's no. ginormous, Charlie. No. It's ginormous. Who? The world. Wow. This is the problem. This is the problem. Oh, we didn't know about me. it. We heard from it from my sister. They like, won't check it out. stop. Uh, <laughs> and uh, yeah, so you I mean, I know why they won't stop. Who? The two of them. It's a lot of views. Yeah. People are into it, man. Holy cow. Okay, so we watched five minutes of it and the I'll tell you what when I had to turn it off when they started it off in the second scene they say how do you feel she says well I'm really nervous and uh, you know I'm not sure about doing this it's like okay get out of here like like you didn't let the camera crew into your house and we're gonna you know this I have to tell my story I have to I no you don't <laughs> you can just go you don't you just be you millionaires can just live in Montecito California and just live and not just just turn it all off. You've, you've got it. Um, and the other thing that is interesting is that I you brought this up to me. Like this, I have to tell my story. I have to tell my story. I have to tell me my story. The way if you actually want to re-enter into public life and move past this is not to keep retelling your story. It's to do something else noteworthy. So like when Logan Paul had the suicide force thing, he went away for a period of time, did the apology, and then moved on, put, put a bunch of other big things between him and that. He fought Floyd Mayweather. He started this podcast that was wildly successful. He did a million other things. And it seems like this is either based on confusion or just um, deep concern for general 
consensus in society, which I understand as someone who creates, you know, it's, it's upsetting when you feel like the average person thinks a thing about you that you feel isn't true. But this tactic of rehashing and talking about and giving your side over and over and over again is not near, like, just go make something else impressive. And you've got the clout to do it. You could do a philanthropic thing. You could make that a focus. Rather they can't. <laughs> Why not? Because and I'm sure point, they were involved in some sort of Their point was they got a bunch of backlash for doing exactly what you said. It was like, if you're so hard, stop. Just be millionaires and disappear. And they said, we never planned on going away. Yeah, they never said to go away. We never wanted to go away. Yeah. We just want our story out there. We just want our contract to say Dwayne The Rock Johnson beats up everybody. Yeah, yeah, We're yeah. Dwayne The Rock Johnson. We don't get yeah. to get beat up. So we're going to do a Netflix documentary in which we are the good guys. Mm-hmm. They, they, And they're, they're, I guess, entitled you know, to entitled it. Entitled to that. I think it's a poor strategy for their stated aim. Um, I don't know what happened between them, and I, I don't care you know, I, what happened between them and the, and the family. Um, I can imagine that a lot of people relate to having in-laws that they don't, like and that they have falling outs with and a lot of people can't relate to having that story be told a trillion times the world over but i do think that if your goal is to rewrite the narrative you have to let go of that particular fight and move on and do something that gets people talking about you in a new way that's just a tactical piece of advice that's not moral or anything like that and this desire to like retell your story clearly if you look at like the average response is just backfiring against them. It makes them seem, which I don't know if they are, self-obsessed, narcissistic, deeply concerned that their side of the story is validated um, and unappreciative. That's not to say that they are those things, but it is certainly how it comes across. But, you know, 85 million views on Netflix is, you know, there's a second one coming and they're going to get millions of dollars. So they they know so how worked. to- they know how to make money for the rest of their lives if should they should they ever need to. Yes, so. release an intimate documentary. Uh, the number two thing, um, see if this hits anything, it was the Johnny Depp and Amber Heard defamation case. Mm. Um, at its peak, there was 20 million searches in a week. Yeah, that just, was wild. That was, a, that was a moment, man. It was a moment in time. To me, the most fascinating part of that was the pledge donated thing mm-hmm. that... Um, Still hasn't happened, <laughs> and it does. It does underscores the difference between the words pledged and donated. Because if it were donated, and then you had a lawsuit against you, there'd be no way to claw that money back and use it to settle with your ex-husband. But when it's pledged, you retain control over the money and can then use that to pay your ex-husband. So there is a tremendous difference between the words pledged and donated, namely who has control of the money and what it will be spent on. So I'm glad that that got straightened up. <laughs> And maybe down testimony. the road it'll get okay. And then the recently in December nineteenth, um, Johnny Depp won the case for one million dollars. Um, he got. You didn't know this, no. December nineteenth, Amber settled for one million. She settled, settled, yes. settled. Yes. So he was awarded more than that, and then she settled. Yes, for she can't. She's she has broke. no money. Yeah, yeah. she's broke, um, or is hiding it extremely well. Yeah, yeah. Um, then we had the Will Smith slap. Mm-hmm. Another moment in time, which we watched live, which we could not figure out if it was real or fake. Yeah, we watched the Trevor Noah. I didn't realize he had a comeback a month ago. His yep. first interview since he did his apology on his YouTube channel was with Trevor Noah. They were talking about a movie that he's in called... In Emancipation. Emancipation. Um, and what, I, what struck me about the interview was that it seemed like Will was actually going to handle the interview quite well and was wanted to talk about his movie, also wanted to move on, but was willing to talk about this, I think the shame and the sadness that he felt at his own behavior. And what I felt in that interview, which wasn't reflected in the comments, is that Trevor kept bailing him out. Um, kept every time Will would take a pause and say, you know, I, I, I'm upset with myself. He go, well, we, you're, you're human. Like he would, he would bail him out of the moment that I do think, you know, um, I was curious to see, but he doesn't owe me. I'm just a guy, but I do think might probably be better for his comeback, which is to sit down with someone who will let you express remorse, shame, 
say the word sorry, not to have to go on a whole apology tour to every single person ever, but um, the one that he did on his YouTube channel was just, it felt very small, it felt very tight, it felt like perfunctory, and like it just, you know, it obviously had to be said, and for it to miss the opportunity, um, not that it, the audience seemed to think it was really nice, and I do think that Trevor was being kind to him, but I actually think what would have been better um, would be to let him express the shame, the sorrow, the hurt that he had experienced, the hurt that he understood that he literally caused <laughs> physically to someone else, um, and then to move on before before the rush to you're you're a person, you're a person, you're you're just a, another human like us. Yep. Um, and so I was kind of watching it. I was like, shut up, Trevor. Just shut up and stop interrupting him when he is about to say the word sorry, which he, I don't think, said in that interview. It doesn't matter. He doesn't owe it to me. But I was like, that's, he seemed like he was prepared to give a really good account of the situation that kept getting derailed in that interaction. So, yeah, I saw it too. It was frustrating. Mm-hmm. Rise and fall of Andrew Tate. He's wow. currently all in one year by the mm-hmm. way, like zero searches and then just boom, um, zero to a hundred hustlers university all over TikTok. You know, the, you know, the deal, uh, recently he was, um, Pierce Morgan interview. Then Pierce Morgan's account got hacked on Twitter and said, Andrew Tate was dead. So everyone was like retweeting. <laughs> <laughs> it was also like sending memes about like the queen and stuff. And so it said, breaking news, Andrew Tate dies in (laughs) Dubai or something. And then, you know, Andrew Tate responded with, well, I'm live, too hard to kill. Um, And Andrew Tate just got destroyed by Greta Van Thurnborg on Twitter. Uh, In my research, he wrote her a long list of his cars and said, hey, can you tell me my CO2 emissions for my Bugatti, my two Ferraris, V08 elevators? And she said, yeah, sure. He said, just send me the email to send them to. And she said, yeah, sure. Send them the email at... Small dick energy at <laughs> get a get a She's like sixty some years yeah, old. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Fucking amazing. Um, so that's the update on him. Any thoughts on Tate Here's going my forward? thought. I think we gotta stop. I'll be honest. Yeah, I laughed. Bro, the only physical thing you are allowed to make fun of anybody for in twenty twenty two is a small penis. And it is fucked up. I did up. not think you were gonna it is go fucked there. Up. It's fucked up, dude. Like, imagine that with any other body part, any skin color, any any female anatomy, any anything, doesn't fly. Not cool. The only thing you can do is emasculate a guy for something that he cannot fucking control. How about brains? Huh? You can call people stupid still. Yeah. Um, even alopecia. Even balding. You know, which, by the way, is funny because you're allowed, this is the whole Jada thing, is like, Guys get teased for balding all the time. She's a 51-year-old woman. there was a tremendous question of whether that was okay to do. So I do think that um, it's like, look, I understand you're trying to insult Andrew Tate with that one, but by definition, 50% of men are going to fall on the smaller than average or 49% are going to sm- fall one on the smaller than average. <laughs> it's one of two. <laughs> Stop making the jokes, dude. It's not funny. Um, uh, I'm sorry. It is, and it's funny. You're raised with it, so it's 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 the go-to. Um, but and I would say that it wasn't such an important thing to be sensitive to, except that it is one of like gay when we grew up as like that insult, that horrible thing to be. Small penis has had the same route of like this is a deeply shameful thing about yourself it's not a merely funny thing it is deep shame it is going to disconnect you from an opportunity to fall in love it's going to be um yeah and I think it's it's wild that in all of this like who should we be included we need to add an x at the end of the word latin to it like body positivity all this crazy body positivity the one that is staring you I want to make jokes constantly. (laughs) The one staring you right in the face is so overlooked and will be used by the exact type of person who would use the term Latinx or something like that. Latinx, as we call them here. Right. We don't accept that term. Right. Um, Yeah, I I want to get it out. Jada Pinkett Smith (laughs) had a talk on Jude First with a lady, and she started it with, like, we need to heal. Yeah. 
uh, I have alopecia. And so I'm going to bring on this mother who lost her 12-year-old daughter to suicide for alopecia. And then the lady told a heartbreaking story of being of her daughter being bullied because she has uh, alopecia totalis, which, which is, is like totally hairless. Everything. Yeah. And she got, a, rightfully so, Jada got a lot of backlash because it's like, we equating your suffering at a Chris Rock wrong, making a joke at the Oscars with this 12-year-old. Yeah. 12-year-old yeah. who was bullied. Um, yeah, I just wanted to say that. It was pretty awful to watch her just like... That's tough because it's like, look, I get it and you do deserve a degree. Look, you deserve... If what you're saying, this is this is one of the tough things. I, okay, here's a topic that I have. I wanted to talk about. I don't want to give the specifics of how it's coming up in my life. I think it's coming up in everybody's life. Is what to do about things that trigger other people. This comes up most often on podcasts in the terms of jokes, which is comedians often want the right to experiment and try and say all different sorts of things. And then there's a some section of the audience or even people that aren't in the audience that just are perpetually upset that are upset and triggered by what is said. And I believe that let's take Jada as an example. She might be really insecure about alopecia. She certainly is very insecure yeah, yeah. and very, it's very important what your looks are yes. in her life. She's yes. been famous forever. She might be. So let's, let's give that as a granted. It might really hurt her to have what might seem like a mild joke to other people directed at her uh, with regard to that particular thing that might create a trigger for a tremendous amount of pain and what society and all of us seem to be working out is whose responsibility is that so when you trigger someone else's trauma without causing the totality of that trauma whose fault is that and how do we navigate those I don't think there's a single answer but I think this is what so many of the questions are about so like certain things like jokes about i don't know let's say rape or something like we collectively or majority would go if you trigger that memory in someone else in order to get a laugh you are responsible you ought not have done that most of the time if you trigger someone with an alopecia joke or a bald joke they need to work on that some of the time um, or most of the time most people would say. And this is constantly shifting at a collective level, but I see it in my own life and my own relationships and a lot of my friends as they are navigating their relationship, particularly with significant others, is like we all carry these things that trigger and upset us. I am not responsible for your entire past history, but I can do things that trigger the memory of you being unseen, left out, hurt, whatever. And what we have to come together to figure out is, is when I, for instance, come home from a busy day at work and you've made dinner and I don't acknowledge it within, say, a time span, how do we work that out? Are you expected to have patience for my difficulty? Am I expected to have patience for your being unseen? Um, and I don't have, there's not like an answer that I have to this, but I see this coming up constantly in my life. And so many of the fights, the culture wars, the whatever are, does the world have to change to stop triggering people? To what degree? And to what degree do these people need to address the actual root of what is harming them? So in like Jada's example, the, you know, going to the source of like, when did this, when was the real wounding around your looks being critically important and you being unlovable? Where did that occur? And can we get some healing for you around that so that when you're at an awards ceremony and somebody makes that joke, that it doesn't bring up an entire complex of insecurity about your looks? Um, and so that's just something that I'm noticing. Uh, and what I am trying to do in my own life is because I've had people, I think, inappropriately point the finger at me and say, like, I'll give you an example for one. Um, I did um, I did a video years ago where I was talking about dating. I was like, you know, I would go on a date with, I'd be out with some of these girls. And, like, there was a commenter who was like, girls? Are you dating girls? How dare you demean someone like this? Like, these are women, you know. To me, there's guys and there's girls, Twenty. 
five years old. They're synonyms. There's nothing demeaning in the term girls. The way that I used the term woman back then was to refer to people like my mother. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, plus. and I had guys and girls and like, that was, that was what it was. Um, and I feel like in that situation, you wrote him, right? You wrote I, him back? No, I didn't write anybody back. It's just like, I got the finger pointed at me and told me like, you are causing this shrinking feeling that I have felt in my life with regard to this. Now I, in that particular circumstance was like, all right, I'll fucking say women from now. I'm like, my God. But like, rather than explain myself, you know, in the next video, Hey, there was a single commenter that said this. <laughs> um, but I, what I am, I thought at the time, I was like, this person sucks. Um, but what I am trying to understand more is like, I do, this person has true pain. They wouldn't be here in my comment section without pain. Like they got better stuff to do, but they are actively hurting right now. They have mistaken the word coming out of my mouth, the trigger as the cause of their pain. And so they are lashing out at me. But that does not, and they're wrong to do that, And I think, in that particular case. Like, if they were to understand me at all and see, like, there's nothing demeaning here. I have guys and I have girls. There is nothing less in a guy. Like, I don't call, I wasn't running around calling my 25-year-old dudes men. I was calling us guys or even the boys. <laughs> like, where are the boys going? Nothing demeaning. Um, and uh, I'm trying to be able to go, okay, this person is in pain. They say it's my fault. It ain't. I know that. But can I still have compassion for the pain that they are so clearly in? Um, and what is my role? Is my role to just say nothing, hope that the universe helps them in some way, direct them towards, you know, find a way to point towards, you might want to look to like, what did that feeling remind you of, of having someone say a name that didn't feel right? Because I think that you're, I think you're mistaking the trigger for the cause. Um, so anyway, I know that that's a little bit abstract, but I yeah. And then there's, there's the responsibility of he might be pointing to something within you that is, if you're becoming reactive to, and, and that's might Will have Smith. some responsibility to actually, it's a bad example, but now you need to refer to people as women, but mm -hmm. like not so much as speech police, but like, oh, you're and disrespectful and you might have to go, oh, wait, am I? Yes. Not in the way you say, and this is your this commenter's work, mm -hmm. but maybe I have been disrespectful to people in, an, in a different way. And you've helped me triggered something that I can grow from, um, which is difficult when uh, you feel under attack. Yes. And the answer to go to the first topic we talked about cannot be everybody constellate around the most hurt person. It cannot be that. You cannot go, let's find the most upset, offended person. And any time that somebody has a problem with a joke or a phrase, find a new one. That doesn't work. You wind up, not, well, let's just fundamentally for their own sake, they will never heal. Like you're not helping that person by creating a zone in which they never get triggered because those triggers, if you go want to zoom out, are there for your benefit. And they are a constant invitation to go deeper into the thing that hurts you so that you may heal it. And healing is not paving over all the difficult spots in the world with velvet and felt. No, it's sometimes it, deep it's suffering. Putting on your shoes in order to deal with it and, and suffering through it and addressing the actual root cause, which is not some dude on the internet to whom you're commenting. Um, so, but yeah, I was, you know, we were also talking about Will Smith, like what happened to him in that moment, I deeply believe was like, man, nothing to, like Chris Rock was a trigger for what I believe was, his years. childhood, I read his book, and then also like years of being, which I do think is over, no, like feeling a complex of the world, criticizing his family, his son's choice of dress, his, you know, daughters, whatever, his, him and his wife, and, and also like the frustration of feeling like some of the things that they said were true because they were having serious issues in their marriage, and while some of the speculation might have been off, some of it, I'm sure, like, struck a chord of, like, fuck, they saw, they saw that this facade is not what I'm trying to make them believe it is. Um, and then Chris Rock says a joke that, you know, without all that baggage, gets a laugh, and all of a sudden he gets clobbered in the face. Um, and, uh, yeah, I am, 
that was sort of what I wanted in Trevor's interview that I thought he was so he kind. Did, he said all these things as reasons why basically Will Smith should, he understands why he slapped him. And there's room for you to say sorry. He didn't like, bro, we can have all of that. But don't rush him through the shame and sorrow in his first public interview. Like, don't rescue him so quickly. That is there for him. That that you're a human. We forgive you. You don't even owe it to us to be forgiven. But I see the difficulty inside of you. But to rush to the humanity, because I think that I'm sure that Will Smith has spent months self-reflecting and not even giving him a chance to really get into that, of to be like, he only alluded to his childhood. Um, maybe he wanted to say more. Maybe there was value to him sitting a bit longer in the sorrow and the shame and so and like for other people who might have witnessed it. Um, but I did feel that I saw a bit of Trevor's inability to just, I don't know, this is not mean to make him a bad guy. He was trying to help uh, to just sit and allow. And uh, I think he took himself, like I have done many times, out of a difficult situation by bailing Will out because he's like, this is about to get very emotional if I don't, do this so maybe it wasn't the right context but i i was like ah just in terms of two people it would have been nice for for him to have longer in that so anyways anything else that we want to talk about we've done it i've got a list but we've gone we've done it we've done it 2022 it's 20 we're we're done guys this is it 2023 welcome to see you guys in 2023 we appreciate you all so much um i we have just so you guys know what's going on in my life we have Four episodes of Dungeons and Dragons being filmed over 10 days. I'm going to be very busy for the next 10 days. We'll still get a podcast out. Um, and then after that, I want to come back to what I promised before, which is like some of these interviews and get reaching out to my um, network in order to get some really interesting people because I didn't want to do that before I could really sit down and do a good job of having things to prepare to say. And this Dungeons and Dragons stuff has been very top of mind because I have a lot of producing to do in the next 10 days. So we've got that. If you want to join us on Patreon, we're going to hop over now. We're going to answer some questions. If you want to hand the topics, I'm also going to talk about the details of what I learned this week as regards usually work is the big thing that I'm sharing with you guys, but people have seemed to really enjoy that. So if you want to support the podcast and watch more on Patreon, please click the link in the description. It helps tremendously. It's our primary source of income for this, and uh, hopefully over time that'll shift. But right now it's it's what we've got. Nice. Thank you, guys. Thank you, everybody. Peace. Peace. Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success.